I'm Elizabeth Slattery, and welcome to SCOTUS 101, where we break down what's happening at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. This is a special summer session edition of SCOTUS 101, and today I'm joined by David Latt, the founder of Above the Law. David, welcome to SCOTUS 101. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. So you followed Supreme Court nominations very closely, and in fact, you predicted President Trump would select either Brett Kavanaugh or Raymond Kethledge just hours after Kennedy's retirement was announced. So what's your secret? Do you have Don McGahn on speed dial? <laughs> I am grateful for my many sources on this beat, but in some ways, this was a very logical pick. And I think probably many observers of the court and the nominations process would have pegged Judge Brett Kavanaugh as a top contender. Definitely. He was uh, who who I was rooting for. Um, So before we get into more about Judge Kavanaugh, I want to briefly turn to another nomination, one that unfortunately failed. So last week, the White House withdrew the nomination of Ryan Bounds to the Ninth Circuit on the afternoon the Senate was scheduled to hold its confirmation vote. It's been widely reported that Republican Senators Tim Scott and Marco Rubio raised last-minute objections to Ryan Bounds after they had already voted to invoke cloture and proceed to the confirmation vote. So their objections centered on a couple of articles Bounds wrote for the student newspaper at Stanford more than two decades ago. So, David, you wrote a defense of Ryan Bounds. So first off, tell us how you know Ryan. Yes, uh, full disclosure, Ryan and I were classmates at Yale Law School uh, dating back to the late 1990s. And then we clerked together from 1999 to 2000 for Judge Dermot O'Scanlan of the Ninth Circuit, whose seat uh, Ryan was nominated uh, to fill. Uh, So I have known Ryan for a long time, and he is a uh, good friend. So moving on to your article defending Ryan, tell me why these charges that he's a racist are just flatly wrong. So I actually had a lot of issues with the objections to Ryan. Uh, My first point is I don't even think that these articles are relevant. These were written more than two decades ago when Ryan was a college student. And we all say a lot of things in college that we later come to regret or think differently about. And Ryan himself certainly apologized for the tone of these youthful musings. So first of all, I don't even think that these articles should be looked at. And I would say that regardless of whether the nominee is a Democrat or a Republican, a conservative or a liberal, I thought it was ridiculous that People were looking at college writings by Jesse Furman, who's now a judge on the Southern District, uh, who was nominated by Obama. So first of all, I don't even think these things are relevant. But second, if you go back and look at the articles that Ryan wrote, uh, and I go article by article by article, but the upshot is this was during the late 1990s, during the so-called culture wars on college campuses, and Ryan was doing nothing more than poking fun at some of the excesses of political correctness. He did criticize some student groups, uh, often uh, left-leaning minority student groups, but his point was merely that sometimes groups that are focused on racial and ethnic characteristics or identities can uh, sometimes inadvertently contribute to an environment of greater tension rather than alleviate tension. That was really all his point. It was nothing more exceptional than that. And to take these articles and to twist them into charges that he is racist and sexist and homophobic and all the other things, it was just deeply, deeply unfair to him. Yeah, I think so. And we'll we'll tweet out a link to uh, your great article from last week where you you go through, you know, some of Ryan's career and uh, and really tackle, uh, you know, the issue with these articles. 
So I think it would be an understatement to say that the left has been gleeful over the defeat of one of President Trump's judicial nominees. And people quickly began trying to connect the dots between what happened with Ryan Bounds and what will happen with the upcoming confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. For example, Vanita Gupta, who is uh, was an Obama administration lawyer, she now heads up the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. She tweeted, those saying that Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation is inevitable need to check out what happened with Ryan Bounds on the Senate floor. So, David, do you think this means anything for Kavanaugh's confirmation? I don't think that the situation with Ryan's nomination, while deeply unfortunate and unfair, uh, relates much or sheds much light on what's going to happen to Judge Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Uh, In this case, in Ryan's case, uh, as you mentioned, Elizabeth, there were two Republican senators, uh, Senator Scott and Senator Rubio, who had some last-minute concerns about these very ancient writings of Ryan's. Uh, But in a Supreme Court situation, there's much more uh, lengthy consideration. We're going to have hearings. We're going to have internal discussions within the Republican caucus. So I think it's very unlikely that we're going to have some kind of situation of a last-minute consideration, uh, an issue that wasn't raised, and then a last-minute defection. And also, uh, let's face it, as important as the Ninth Circuit is, as a very influential appeals court, it's not the Supreme Court. And so the pressure on all the Republicans to remain unified when supporting a very qualified nominee like Judge Kavanaugh is going to be tremendous. So I think that if people think that somehow the ability to stop Ryan's nomination is now going to uh, lead to an ability to stop Judge Kavanaugh's nomination, I think they're sorely mistaken. Yeah, I think that's right. It, it's very hard to compare the two situations. It's it's like apples and oranges, or better yet, it's like apples and oregano. They're just very, very different. <laughs> you know, as you said, Bounds was nominated to an important court, the Ninth Circuit, um, but he didn't have a, a record as a judge and hadn't been publicly vetted in the way that Brett Kavanaugh already has been. Uh, he, he had two confirmation hearings um, before he was uh, finally confirmed to the D.C. Circuit 12 years ago, and he's written more than 300 opinions as a judge. So I think there, uh, there is much more out there to, to consider uh, when, when looking at, at Judge Kavanaugh. So turning to his confirmation, let's talk about what to expect in the hearing. What do you think will be the major things that are going to come up? I think one issue that's going to be raised is Judge Kavanaugh's view of executive power. He did serve in the Bush White House, and as a judge on the D.C. Circuit, which considers many important cases of administrative law, he has written a fair amount on the scope of executive authority. I think that will definitely be a major issue, especially since many folks on the left are concerned about President Trump's use of executive authority and also all of these issues about the ability to which he he or his administration could be subjected to uh, judicial process related to the Robert Mueller Russia probe. So I think executive authority is probably going to be uh, at or near the top of the list in terms of issues uh, raised in the Kavanaugh confirmation process. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're already seeing the uh, the battle being waged between the Republicans and Democrats in the Senate over the documents, all of the documents that uh, that uh, Brett Kavanaugh would have um, basically passed on when he was uh, President Bush's staff secretary. I mean, that's basically a role that's like a traffic cop. But the Democrats want to get every single document that they can. And, uh, you know, Chuck Grassley has said he's he's going to be fair and and let them get some of the documents if if the White House will turn those over. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I could see this as a, a potential opportunity to try to relitigate the Bush administration, which I don't think is is very useful when we're, you know, when we have someone with 
12 years of experience as as an appeals court judge. So do you see any of the 2020 presidential hopefuls on the Democratic side trying to make this uh, their moment to shine? Absolutely. These are televised confirmation hearings, and certainly there are a number of prominent 2020 contenders on the Democratic side who are on the judicial Judiciary Committee. So I would expect uh, aggressive questioning from Senator Kamala Harris of California, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. I would certainly expect them to be front and center when it comes to uh, raking Judge Kavanaugh over the coals uh, during these hearings, because this is an opportunity to appear before a national audience and to also excite the Democratic base about the issue of the Supreme Court. So absolutely, we're going to see that. So Senator Maisie Hirono from Hawaii has, uh, in in the past year, um, she's asked a lot of judicial nominees about their views of the Me Too movement. And this is something that's that came up, you know, not that long after Kavanaugh's nomination was announced, his his association with um, now retired Judge Alex Kaczynski from the Ninth Circuit, who uh, kind of was the impetus for the judiciary's Me Too movement. So so tell me, do you think that this is going to pose any problems for Kavanaugh? I think Judge Kavanaugh is certainly going to get questions about his relationship with Judge Kaczynski. He did clerk for the judge, although it was a very long time ago, and they did collaborate together in terms of selecting law clerks for Justice Kennedy. But I don't know that this is going to get much traction. Uh, First of all, uh, it's really essentially a diluted guilt by association claim. There's no evidence that Judge Kavanaugh had any knowledge of the allegations against Judge Kaczynski. And in fact, uh, the White House issued a statement saying that he did not know about these allegations until they appeared in media reports. So first of all, I don't think there's any substance to these charges. Uh, Second, Judge Kavanaugh himself has an exemplary record when it comes to hiring, promoting, and supporting women lawyers. Uh, More than half of his law clerks have been women. Many of them he has mentored and supported in their quest to go on to clerk for the U.S. Supreme Court. He has an extraordinary record. Uh, Professor Amy Chua of Yale Law School wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed talking a little bit about uh, how he has been a real uh, advocate of women law students and lawyers. So he certainly has no personal issues on the Me Too front. So yes, it will be raised, and certainly Senator Hirono and others will surely raise it, uh, and he will get some aggressive questions. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to stick. So you've written about how you wish the confirmation process could return to the days of, you know, for example, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed by a vote of 96 to 3 or when uh, Antonin Scalia was confirmed by a vote of 98 to 0. So why do you think we've gotten to a point where someone like Neil Gorsuch, who was confirmed 54 to 45 with only three Democrats voting, uh, voting for him, why do you think we've gotten to this point? It's a very sad situation, and I think it is because of the politicization of the judiciary. And to be sure, both sides have some of the blame for that. But I think, as the late Justice Scalia wrote, when we use the courts to hash out very political issues that probably should be decided by the people through legislative action or something, we are going to get a pitched battle over the court when it is seen as just another political branch as opposed to uh, a branch that focuses on the law. So I think... The fact that the courts uh, have been taking a lot of power for themselves to decide some hot-button issues has made people realize the political power of the court and has made us much more focused on how judges might vote in hot-button issues as opposed to more important issues, in my view, of their qualifications. Now, certainly, I think it's fair to ask about a judge's judicial philosophy. 
in terms of whether she is an originalist or a textualist or a living constitutionalist or what have you. But I think that the speculation over how a judge or justice might vote on abortion or affirmative action or any other any number of other issues has uh, has really gotten out of hand. And I think we should focus on the qualifications. Yes, the nominees are going to differ in terms of their political and jurisprudential views, but that's also a function of elections. That's also a function of who we elect president and who we elect to the Senate. And those elections, as I think President Obama said, do have consequences. Uh, so if people vote for uh, individuals like President Trump and Republican senators, yes, you are going to get different nominees, but that is a result of uh, the electoral process. So do you think there's any shot the Democrats will take this opportunity to take the high road and vote to confirm the incredibly qualified Brett Kavanaugh? Unfortunately, no, Elizabeth. I think <laughs> one thing we saw from the bounds situation is it's no holds barred right now. Uh, this is going to be a pitched battle. And as we're already seeing with some of the issues that have been raised about Judge Kavanaugh, many of them without merit, uh, he will have the kitchen sink uh, thrown at him. And Maybe someday in the future we will return to a more qualifications-focused approach to nominees where we, quali we confirm qualified people from both the left and the right. Uh, but right now, I think it is going to be a, uh, an all-out battle royal. Yeah. What, what do you think it'll take to, to reverse course? I, I think you're absolutely right that as long as people treat the Supreme Court as a place to get their policy agenda through when they can't win it in Congress or in the state houses across the country, uh, there's little chance of a return to how confirmations used to be. So w what do you think? I'm not really optimistic, frankly. <laughs> uh, I think that you could see a situation where if a if a view of judicial restraint took greater hold in the judiciary, we could depoliticize the courts that way, and then maybe we would return in the legislature to a more qualifications-focused view. But I'm not optimistic. I think that the long-term trend, going back to the failed Supreme Court nomination of Judge uh, Robert Bork, has been to make the process more rather than less political. So uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not optimistic, uh, but, uh, but we shall see. So finally, since you appear to have a crystal ball, what's your prediction for the vote breakdown? Uh, I think it will be very close. Right now, the Republicans have a 50 to 49 margin, uh, not including Senator McCain, who is um, uh, fighting illness. Uh, but I think you could see one or two red state Democrats uh, move over. So I think ultimately you could be looking at a margin like maybe uh, 52. To 47, did I do my math right? Uh, I guess it should add up to 99. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we'll, we'll see soon enough. But David, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to SCOTUS 101. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a rating if you enjoy listening. Please follow us on Twitter at SCOTUS 101. And you can email us at SCOTUS 101 at heritage.org with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. You've been listening to SCOTUS 101, executive produced by Elizabeth Slattery. Sound design by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.